<laughs> yes. Read the Pod, episode 24, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today are my co-hosts, Melody and April. Today, we have a very special guest, our friend Meg. Ladies, let's get started. Hello, hello. I am still, uh, I had quite the weekend. I'm just going to give you a quick and dirty, because I I literally live-streamed the whole thing on the Seeing Red Facebook, but there was a terrible abortion bill that passed. And there was a, a, a bill signing, so a, a law that impacts every person in Nebraska, and only people that were affiliated with um, the pro-life movement and the Catholic Church were allowed on the Capitol steps to, act, to see the bill signing and participate in this new law that was enacted. Uh, so that was what I did this weekend. Yeah, check that out. I'm seeing red. Doesn't sound like a very good separation of church and state. No. Also, since when is a bill signing a private event outside at the state government building? I. Mm. But you know, so yeah, no, it was horrible. It was horrible. I'm so glad we get to talk to Meg, and we get like I get to spend time with someone who is not vile or horrible. Like, she's <laughs> just so great. I can't wait till she comes on. You know what else? Everybody that's listening to this pod if you haven't been on seeing red's facebook page to see the pep talk that one of the members of seeing red gave for boner kill on the steps of the Capitol, you should it is a highlight of my weekend <laughs> and also did you- prolifenebraska.com is the website for that organization of boner kill you should just check out their work because it's so funny it is amazing. what did you do this weekend stephanie uh nothing nothing i slept for 11 hours straight I did nothing. Oh, that's, that's so wonderful. I'm so happy for you. It's kind of magical. I hope to do it again tonight. I so. did that Friday. I tucked myself in. It was actually before 7 p.m. I was like, I'm wiped. I'm, 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 I'm trying not to yell at my family because I'm just tired. It's like hangry. What is it? It's got to be like a tired, angry word. We got to invent that. It's called toddler. I was toddler then, and I went to bed at seven, and then I slept 10 hours. <laughs> I wish my tired toddler would go to bed at seven and sleep 10 hours. And I'm taking some melatonin tonight to make sure I sleep tonight, so. Woo! It's, been a big, it's been a big week for lots of people. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, I really want to loop Megan. Stephanie, get her in here. We have Meg Michalacek, a friend of mine and deputy director and legal counsel for Planned Parenthood in Nebraska. She's also a commissioner for Lincoln and Lancaster County Commission on Women. She serves on the board of the League of Conservation Voters. She's an all-around badass feminist, and we're so glad she's here chatting with us tonight. Thanks for having me. 
have to say I've been excited about you coming to hang out with us on the pod like the whole day. Like I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, it's Meg Day. She's coming. Well, thank you. Likewise, I've never been on a podcast before. So this is, I know like, all my dreams are coming true right in one in one thing because I get to spend the night with you guys too. So that's so amazing. I mean, okay. it's almost as good as the day you met RBG, right? It's up there. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> let's just let's just back this up for our listeners. So we have um, this incredibly badass feminist lawyer on our pod today, and uh, April just dropped this bombshell that this other badass feminist lawyer and judge have been in the same room and shared a space. Meg, talk about that right now. Sure. Um, so, I mean, my love of RBG sort of goes predates even RBG being her nickname. Uh, I've loved her mm-hmm. since law school and I got a question on her, one of her big cases, whatever, whatever. So I've, I've loved her and I've, you know, wanted to emulate her. And so um, when I had my daughter Beatrix, I, who I wanted to name Ginsburg and sort of like lost that conversation, we got Ginsburg as the middle name. And family friends of ours were like, wait a second, her middle name is Ginsburg. Do you want to meet, do you want to meet Ruth? I am friends with her. You just come to Chicago and she's going to be at this event and we'll just make sure you get to meet her. So we all went to Chicago. Cameron and Sanix got to come with too, because this event is like not a baby event. So like baby was there to meet RBG and then sort of whooshed away. Um, yes. And the evidence of this is Cameron actually ended up, her meeting RBG is in the documentary, the RBG documentary. So um, she got to meet her and be in the documentary. B got to meet her, B was teething and Ruth had these amazing like lace gloves on and B was very mesmerized. And I was so overwhelmingly excited and also panicked that my small child would beat or not beat, bite, beat, bite. She could do both. Have you met her? She, she's that way. Um, my idol in in the moment. So, and she didn't. It was lovely. It was like stars and unicorns and magic. It's like the top moment of my life and hopefully bees. And then at Christmas, that family friend blew up the photo and had RBG sign it to Beatrix with love from Ruth Bader Ginsburg and it hangs in her room. Oh so, my gosh. It was very cool. I There's pictures of it happening where I'm just like, babbling I, I kind of blacked out I have no idea what outrageous thing I said to Justice Ginsburg uh but her and B just had this like moment so well um, listen we are going to sign a picture of us <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes do. I'll hang it in my room in front of our corn <laughs> and we will send it to you <laughs> yes yeah, I'm sure Aaron would be thrilled if I have, you know, the Seeing Red podcast signed photo in our bedroom. But <laughs> who would not be thrilled? <laughs> we'll, we'll make it smaller for you. <laughs> Excellent. I'm going to hold you all to that. Okay, so, so you went to law school and you went to law school where? University of Nebraska. Okay. And then are you native to Nebraska or did you come here for the excellent education at our university? Yeah. So I'm from Wisconsin originally and I did come here 
before law school um, at the time. And I think this is still true. It's, it's like a best value law school. So um, really good value for the education you get, smaller classes. And, you know, Nebraska nice is kind of a thing. And I'm from the Midwest. So felt like a good fit. And my mother was really into Omaha. She had done, she'd worked in Omaha in her career and just was like, everyone is so nice in Omaha. You will just love Omaha. So, so I live in Lincoln, which I also love, but. Okay, that is, so for anybody who is a college student that is listening to this podcast right now, Meg is a really good example of what you should do with your life next. So you come to a new state and you go to law school and then you just jump right in and start blooming where you've been planted, right? And so you've run for office after you were done with law school, right? Um, Well, I opened my own practice first and then um, I was doing that and and then I ran for office Um, and then... After that, I went and worked at a firm that was doing a bunch of really interesting like plaintiff's work. Um, so I got to represent the landowners against Keystone Pipeline, for example. Wow. Um, and I learned a, a lot of interesting things. And then that boss ran for Senate. So I got to help kind of be part of that and the law practice, which was awesome. And then, of course, I ran again. Um, while pregnant, which I don't know that I recommend just because you're so tired all the time. And also, you know, a lot of questions about, you know, your pregnancy that you're not really interested in telling strangers, but I did that. And then I came to Planned Parenthood. What a cool track record. What were the offices you ran for? I know you ran for city council and what was the other one? City council. So, um, (laughs) there was a vacancy. So I put my name in for city council. And then there was actually an open seat and I was asked by the Lancaster County party to run. They had a slate and something happened with their third candidate sort of very close to filing deadline and people knew I was interested. So uh, I ran citywide, which is exceptionally hard, especially when you have no name recognition or money. Um, But I finished second in the primary, which was kind of exciting, unexpected. Um, And then I lost in the general, so that's fine. And then I ran for city council again uh, in Northeast Lincoln. And I lost by a very close margin. Like, I think it was 212 votes. It might have been 215, but it was very close. I voted Uh, for you. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Do you know, do you remember in your election, how many people didn't vote at all? Oh, I mean, those are really low turnout races. So I'm sure it was most of the district didn't vote. Yeah. I think that's important for people to realize that these oftentimes, not in all races, um, you know, a lot of races are not close at all, but a lot of races are very close. And so it's really, you know, if you can make 200 phone calls for a candidate that you love, you might swing that race. If you can drop off, you know, 200 flyers for the candidate that you love, you may swing a race. Um, And a lot of legislative, city council, school board, uh, these races are often very, very close with people that don't have big money and don't have name recognition. I think that's really important for people like Meg is the kind of person we could have had, but for 200-ish people. 
And so like, Cindy Lamb and instead. Yeah. That's right. I mean, we got Cindy Lamb. It was a raw deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was heartbreaking. And you know, that that election cycle in the spring is hard because it's the primary and then you go 28 days and you have the general. And so I, I think it's just hard for voters to sort of know when they're supposed to vote and, and where and kind of didn't I just do this? It's, it's very confusing for folks who aren't really engaged in it. Um, and my race wasn't that close compared to some of the legislative legislative races we've seen recently. I believe DeBoer's legislative race was really, really close. I want to say it was like 40 Wendy votes. DeBoer out in Omaha. Yep. And then, you know, a handful of years ago when Senator Ken Har won against Mike Hilgers for his second term, it was like, I want to say 70 some or 80 votes. So it was also really, really tight. There was a county commissioner race up in Omaha recently where um, Roger Garcia lost to Mike Boyle, I believe. And that was even after the Douglas County Democrats unilaterally, not, not on a vote or anything, donated money to Mike Boyle's race against uh, Roger Garcia. And he lost by like 14 votes, you guys. Mm. Yeah. And so now, like, I guess overall what you're saying is are going to be the same family. Very weird stuff in Omaha. So what Melody is saying, right, is like, we all hear about Sass and Fortenberry and, and Bacon and all that, and Trump, which, you know, oh, I can't believe I said that word. Um, <laughs> but we always think like, oh, we got to help them. But your impact can really have a much bigger, I mean, your work can have a much bigger impact if you're working for a local down ballot. Yeah, I mean, I think about just how important the local seats have been even through this pandemic too. You know, I think mm -hmm. I think a lot of folks get sort of, um, distracted is not the right word, but really fixated, I guess, on the top ticket races, the president, the Senate and, and Congress. Sometimes they don't even go as far down as state legislature. And then you have county commission seats or, you know, mayors of small towns, whatever. Those are the people who are making all of the decisions right now about schools and about masks and about testing and about how we're, you know, releasing information uh, to the public. And so, you know, to me, if I can, you know, get people to vote the entire ballot, like that is my goal this election. It's turn out, but then complete the ballot. And I want to make sure people are educated on all of those races all the way, you know, to dog catcher if that's on the ballot, you know, every race counts. And the other thing that I think is so important is a lot of people get their start in these low, lower, um, level races, you know, NRDs and public power races and city council, county commission. And if we're not paying attention to folks then, and we're not getting good people elected there, then they run for legislature and we are stuck. You know, we have some folks in the Nebraska legislature running unopposed because we just don't know or have anyone motivated to run against them in some of these places. Guys, uh, Senator Halloran, Steve Halloran, the the least intelligent, biggest well, blowhard kind of in the legislature. <laughs> well, you know what? This this applies. Grony also didn't have an opponent. How do these people who are 
the worst in the Nebraska. They are embarrassing to their districts every day. Um, but nobody runs. Well, and I think about, um, you know, there's some other folks who've run and challenged in primaries. And I think a primary challenge is good, even if there's someone who's really well-funded and, and maybe it's likely that the incumbent is going to win. When they are challenged, they should have to run to keep their job. It's the voters and the constituents are actually the bosses, not the politicians. I know it feels like the politicians, you know, are in charge of our bodies all the time and are in charge of us. But at the end of the day, every four years or depending on the race, six years or two or whatever it is, we as constituents get to decide, are you going to continue to be in charge of us or not? And they should have to work for it. So, you know, I mean, I, I believe if someone has it, a little fire in their belly to run, even if it feels impossible, or even if it feels like there are a lot of barriers, money, a pandemic certainly is making this more challenging for candidates. People should just, if it's your time, you should jump in. So. Totally agree. Uh, if you are interested in knowing where your like who, what candidates are going to be on your ballot. That information is for the entire state is on the secretary of state's website and there's an elections tab and you just go to the 2020 elections uh, is where you click. And then you get a whole PDF and let's say you just don't know. Well, Northeast public power district. Um, if you don't know which subdivision you live in, uh, you can kind of look at what the towns are. So subdivision two is in Osmond. If you live near Osmond, you're probably near subdivision two. If you live near Jackson, that's subdivision six. If you live near Ponca, that's subdivision eight. So you can kind of tell by where the candidates are located, which district you might be in. Um, and then you can also look up your voter registration at Secretary of State, and they will tell you all your districts that you belong to. Uh, I wish it was actually a little bit easier to figure out all the candidates that will be on your ballot by your address, but. Yes, you know. I feel like there is huge potential there to be able to like put in your zip code and then like see. Yeah. I do like. So it does take about 10 minutes if you want to cross check yeah. on the secretary of state, but I feel like when you see uh, mask policy, when you see education policy, when you see, I don't know, abortion policy, uh, it's worth 10 minutes of your time to see who the candidates are across the state where you live. And actually take the 12 minutes on the Secretary of State's website. And after you look it up, request your early ballot. And let's get those coming in because uh, we have no idea what COVID's going to look like November 3rd. I know there's some concerns about the mail as well, which is why I'd advocate get your application in. Ballots are going out September 28th, my birthday. And Ooh. early voting is starting in person on October 5th. And so we have a, a really good on-ramp here to get as many people voting as early as possible. Um, and you can do that at the Secretary of State's website. So please register to vote. Make sure you're registered to vote in the right place. Make sure you know who's on your ballot and request your early uh, vote by mail ballot. And I think everybody in Douglas County already got a uh, request your ballot mailer sent to them. They're little yellow cards. So send them back. Mm -hmm. Well, and the thing is in COVID, if you do not sign up to do an early ballot, you're acting you like not. an asshole. 
You don't need to go to your polling place. That's just one more place you could limit your exposure Mm -hmm. to others and limit everyone else's exposure to you. You don't need to do it. So I am on the record that if you are voting in person, instead of asking for your mail-in ballot, Melody says you're an asshole. Just I want to be very clear that how I feel about that. Also, Melody feels very strongly about voting anyway. And so even though there was a pandemic, she still volunteered to staff the last voting. Uh, and I will do that again. And, I you know, like, definitely <laughs> vote. And if that's your only option, you forget to fill the form out, whatever, you're still an asshole for voting in person, but you are unforgivable if you don't vote. I can forgive you being an asshole, but I cannot forgive you if you don't vote. And it's public and we will know. And we're going to look it up. It's public if you voted or not. We're going to look you up and shame you. And I will say, um, when I moved to Lincoln, I didn't re-register right away. Um, I can make a million excuses. Uh, but I, ultimately, I didn't I didn't know if I was going to stay in Lincoln or not. And I didn't feel like I should be voting on city council mayor races when I I didn't. I didn't necessarily think of myself as a Nebraskan yet. And then I ran for office and an entire website was created about how my voting record was splotchy. It was called No Show Meg. Um, And it was a little silhouette of a woman on a beach. And I got hammered, probably rightfully so, for not having a perfect voting record. And so if you ever want to run for office too, you better make sure you're voting because it's like the easiest attack that the other side will, will do and... And, you know, even in, in politics now, I always look up how my candidates have voted in the past to prepare for attacks. So just vote. I, I do have to say in full disclosure, when I was my first time ever voting, um, I could not vote at 18 because I thought you could like register in person. I didn't understand you had to register a month ahead. So my vote was disenfranchised through crappy rules. Mm-hmm. So I did not vote at 18, but then I was could vote at 20, um, and then the Supreme Court stole my presidential vote oh, in the year yeah. 2000, right? and so I just stopped voting <laughs> because I was like, what's the point? Because literally, they don't count votes. This is so rigged. So so two times in a row, I felt like the system was rigged, uh, and then I came back uh, because Barack Obama inspired me and I wanted to primary for him. So I did. Um, But so anyway, this is, we have to do this. We have to do this. Don't, uh, you don't want to be like me. And now you have this, you know, big chunk where you didn't vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not good. It's not good. So Meg, It's been a couple days. We record on Sunday. The legislature wrapped up on Thursday. Uh We've all had a couple days. (laughs) This has been a tough legislative session for uh, the nerds that pay attention every day, which would be all the listeners of this podcast. Uh, It's been really, really tough to see... um, that there's no professionalism, there's no, uh, it doesn't feel like they worked on behalf of the people this session. Mm-hmm. You're actually uh, in, in a lobbying kind of role. Mm-hmm. 
What was your takeaway the same as the public's takeaway? Was it different? What What do you think? Um, I mean, I'm not going to use the word unprecedented because I know like that gets everyone made fun of, but the session was super bizarre in that we recessed and then they came back to do some emergency COVID funding, which felt like, okay, everyone came together for a few days. They did some solid work. Everyone, no shenanigans from what I recall. It seemed very business only, which is when the, when the legislature can just focus on the business of Nebraska, it's actually pretty magical. And I've, I've have, it's a pleasure to be down there when folks are sort of working with each other outside of party or outside of, you know, some of the texting that, uh, you know, allegedly happens. So um, when they came back again in July, I was really hopeful that maybe we could just continue to focus on all of the really pressing needs of Nebraskans. You know, we have racial injustice and police brutality happening in many cities in our state and across country. Maybe we'll deal with that. Maybe we'll deal with the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of the COVID cases are happening with workers who are in meatpacking plants because they don't have the safety measures that they need to stay healthy. And, and, you know, what are those companies doing and how can we protect workers and their families? Um, you know, there was the looming property tax thing, which, you know, I honestly don't care about my property taxes. If my taxes uh, pay for good things like education and healthcare for folks, I'm pretty okay with whatever my property taxes are, but I know it's a big deal for a lot of people. So I was cautiously optimistic that the abortion bill, maybe was dead, um, maybe naively optimistic that the abortion bill was dead. Uh, just to kind of set the scene, there was this LB 814. It's a ban on abortion. Um, it had gone to the Judiciary Committee. It had a full fair hearing uh, in February. It was pretty complex. You know, you had physicians on both sides. You had experts on both. Well, I mean, you had experts on our side. I, I don't really know um, about the other side necessarily, but there were a lot of folks and it was a long, complex hearing. And right after Geist and Fax and Geist um, put an amendment on the bill to try to fix the myriad problems that were sort of lifted up during the hearing process. Um, to be clear, just for some legislative process, almost every bill, the first time it is introduced, has problems in the language. And it often takes several sessions to churn through as they that's right. Bring people together and they just do lots of revisions because once something is a law, it is a very serious matter. So if there are wording problems, it really does need to be vetted. And that usually takes um, several years for something that is going to impact a lot of people mm -hmm. so intimately. And I think what's interesting about LB 814 is actually this is an identical bill that we saw in 2016. Senator Tommy Garrett brought it in 2016. The bill had a ton of problems. Those problems were lifted up during the Judiciary Committee and the bill died in committee, which is typically how the process goes. Um, nobody prioritized it in 2016. Senator Geist prioritized it, which of course every senator gets one priority and that sort of helps shepherd some of those bills through, make sure they get on the agenda, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think it's important to highlight the fact that, yeah, we see this bill every four years. 
in Nebraska. And it wasn't important enough any time in between to bring the bill, but they bring it during presidential elections when turnout's high and they do it because they're playing political games with people's healthcare to score a few political points and maybe some votes. And even more nefariously, they're doing this because they also wanna to try to pin down a couple or few people who they maybe see as vulnerable, who don't always vote the way they want them to vote, and they want them to take a really hard vote either way. And this is, this is about women and doctors having the privacy and the freedom to make healthcare decisions that are best for the patient. And I just, I'm always surprised that senators want to prioritize that sort of gamesmanship ahead of real issues in Nebraska, especially in a year like this. So I was shocked when it um, came back up on day two that she was trying to yank it out of committee on a poll, a poll motion. Um, it's, you know, it's not, it's a tactic that's not used very often. Um, it undermines the committee process. So Melody, as you were saying, like the committee are the subject matter experts and uh, abortion bills go to judiciary. You know, it's kind of all, in my opinion, like the big sexy topics, the really interesting constitutional law sort of challenging topics. You've got um, sexual assault goes there, the courts go there, criminal justice goes there, prison reform goes there, death penalty goes there. Um, and so you've got a bunch of really smart, most of them are lawyers, and everyone on the judiciary uh, leans towards being very thoughtful. I would say um, Senator Halloran was on there one year, and I even he was trying to be really thoughtful about a bill that we were working on. So um, they put a lot of time in, they get the most bills in front of them. And um, the committee didn't vote on it. And so that should, that should give a signal to the Senator that it needs more work. Um, but in, in this instance, they had an election, so they needed to pull it and they needed to prioritize it and they needed to have hours and hours of debate. Um, on this topic instead of doing the work that Nebraskans really needed, which is, you know, devastating to so many people. And I am hoping that actually voters remember not that Senator Geist and a handful of other senators rammed this bad bill that takes away women's rights, people with uteruses rights, doctors' rights. It criminalizes doctors. They did that at the expense of all of the people who are potentially sick with COVID or sick with COVID. They did it at the expense of people wanting justice in Omaha, in Lincoln, across the state for James Scurlock and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of the others. Um, you know, they've done it at the expense of so many important things. And I hope that that's what voters remember. They you know, prioritize depressing women instead. They did it at the expense of um, one bill that also was stuck in committee is, repealing the lie to women bill which was passed in 2019 which says once you have started an abortion doctors are mandated to give you medically inaccurate information that might actually kill you right uh, that is the law right now in nebraska if you have started an abortion your doctor is mandated to give you inaccurate medical information we didn't undo that to save women's lives. It came at that expense. Well, of, let's be um, specific in case people don't remember. The medically inaccurate information is that you could take this drug and possibly reverse your medication-induced abortion. Right. There's no it, such but thing. It could, right. right. There's no medically inaccurate. 
Mm-hmm. And it can so actually be very that. dangerous. You know, I mean, I think that there's a lot of health and safety concerns and to force doctors to lie to patients about their health care and, and to make health care less safe actually is usually the outcome of all of these abortion restrictions. It's the same as this, this method ban. By restricting access under the guise of, uh, I guess they didn't even say they were doing this for the health and safety of the woman this time. No. Usually the woman ends up actually getting to be part of the narrative. And, and that's just another thing that was so bonkers about this bill is they never even talked about the pregnant person. They never really cared. In fact, there were pregnant people or formerly pregnant people who had made the decision with their doctor and their support systems under sometimes some really devastating circumstances to terminate these pregnancies and, and use this method because of how far along they were in their pregnancy. Wanted pregnancies, you know, cribs, names, fetal diagnoses that were not compatible with life. And senators on the floor use those examples to say, and I'm still gonna vote for this ban. And one Senator received an email from a constituent and uh, this heartbreaking story, she was explaining how um, she had to have this procedure. I think it was uh, pre the 20 week ban and it was already significantly challenging for her to get the procedure even without a 20 week ban because she had to jump through all of these hoops and you know, physicians were very nervous about it because they don't want to be criminalized for using their best judgment. And the Senator's response was BS. That sounds made up. And then he walked it back later. And I think that came out a little bit on the floor of the legislature, but that's how we're treating these women because women didn't matter in this bill. This was all about political gamesmanship and it will cost women and doctors the ability to talk about what's right for that person. Um, And, you know, I mean, I mean, you know how I feel about all of this, but so the bill passed and it's important that, you know, we know that there are so many reasons that women need these, women, people need and seek these abortions. And uh, those reasons aren't going to go away because of a ban. It just means people are gonna have to travel more. Uh, It means that people are gonna make tougher decisions there's only a few abortions in Nebraska that are performed using this method each year. And again, those are usually high risk due to fetal anomalies. I actually don't care what the person's reason is. If a person needs an abortion, then that's their constitutional right. And regardless of how any of us feel about abortion, a person should have the right to make that decision for themselves because we are not free if we can't make fundamental decisions about our own bodies. But nevertheless, this, is, this was a few pregnancies. And we know that every pregnancy is different. And so we're trying to put a one side, well, we aren't, but the legislature is trying to put a one size fits all ban in place. And it just, it just doesn't work. And then we also know in Nebraska, we have so many other barriers to accessing care in the first place that we don't know why somebody gets that far along into a pregnancy um, before they're able to terminate. And it could be lack of provider. It could be that the state doesn't allow insurance to cover abortion. It could be the fact that there's a 24 hour waiting period that we lie to women about medication abortion now in the state because the the legislature passed a bill that requires us to. Um, And you know, at Planned Parenthood, as a leading healthcare provider, We just, we see when our patients, when Planned Parenthood patients come in, 
what these laws do to people. And it's despicable and um, they don't help women. They don't help doctors. They don't make medicine better. They're not medically necessary and they're interfering with a really safe procedure. So Planned Parenthood is gonna continue, of course, to connect women, people with the care that they need no matter what, in spite of this ban, uh, will be helping you know connect people where they would need to go if this situation comes up. But again, they had 17 days left of session and they spent a big chunk of time on this and they kept pushing this bill to the top ahead of so many other things. And I'm sorry, I'm on a, I'm on a rant here, but Senator Geist also, this was her priority bill and I understand wanting to sort of manipulate the rules. I mean, the rule is there for a reason, um, wanting to get your priority heard and that is all fine and good. But, you know, she voted against Tony Vargas, Senator Vargas, also using a rarely used, sometimes hostile um, rule to try to get a new bill introduced to deal with the impacts of COVID on meatpacking workers. So uh, I find it a little disingenuous when a senator says, well, I can use the rules. These are the rules. And then they don't support other senators doing something that is really deeply personal and meaningful to them. I find it despicable. And again, I hope voters remember that Geist and Albright, who has a t meat packing plants in her district, I hope they remember that that's how those folks voted. They voted to take away access to people making decisions about their own bodies. And they voted to send certain people into really unsafe workplaces because we need Tyson to stay open, I guess. So, so that's how I thought session went. Oh, my face is getting warm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's always important when talking about Senator Geist to understand how she manipulates and uses her piety and white class markers to raise herself up and show that she's um, a good person. But at her very core, when she grew up, she was her father worked at a, he was a physician at a prison that got people used doing dirty, unhygienic procedures on prisoners in a majority black town. So we can assume it was a majority black prison mm -hmm. and sold all that blood to Canada where people actually died because it was not uh, safe blood. And, and that is her health history. That is how she was raised to think that you are able to um, use people's bodies you to yeah. achieve your own aims. And it's pretty horrific. That's pretty horrific, actually. You know, she is not in charge of her father's crimes, of course. That would be gross. We would never say that. Uh, but that is how she was raised. And we can see that's how she's continuing to do her work by not helping people and causing real harm with her actions. Yeah, and I would say lack of accountability to any of those folks who she may be impacting as well. That is sort of a theme I see around um, the sponsors of abortion bills or the people who are willing to really stake their entire name and reputation on, on pushing forward these abortion bills is no accountability. And, and they also don't vote on all of the other things that would also help you know, women have babies and raise their families and people to be safe and be able to access a healthcare provider earlier for whatever reason. You know, I mean, 
So a couple things. One, going back to your point. And no, she did not vote for Medicaid expansion, right? No, of course not. No. 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 So just to be clear, when she's saying she's pro-woman and she's pro-healthcare, um, she's a liar. She also voted to take away Title X from you know, basically almost all of Lincoln because Planned Parenthood was defunded a few years ago. And um, in Lincoln in particular, Planned Parenthood saw, I think, four out of every five Title X patients. So, you know, and, and I also think there's a lot of bills. If we really care about supporting people having babies and healthy pregnancies, where is she at on um, Black mom mortality? Where is she at on that? Where are people on making sure health insurance covers in vitro fertilization for folks who want to have very wanted pregnancies? We don't, mm -hmm. we don't help people in those instances. Where are people at on their votes for FMLA to make sure that there's family medical leave for folks? They're absent everywhere. Um, and again, I really hope, I think about the nuance in taking the vote, you know, all the senators we're forced to take a vote on this in an election year. And some people have really challenging districts. I mean, you know, think about the district, what is it, LD15, Fremont. That's a tough turf. A lot of tough legislators. I mean, Ben Sass is there sometimes. And I think Senator Jansen's from there. So it can be really tough. So there's some tough votes out there. And I think what's really challenging is you can't look at one vote in a vacuum, right? So I know that a lot of us have this feeling right now. Well, I don't. Uh, Senator Pansing Brooks is my senator, so I feel like mm -hmm. everything's perfect. But, um, you know, a lot of people across the state are like, well, my senator voted for this bill. Or, or, you know, maybe even more problematic, in my opinion, is well, my senator was PNV and they should have voted no. And, you know, we can all have feelings about this, of course, because. PNV means present, not voting. <laughs> and some people feel like their senators should always vote yes or no. And that is true no matter what the bill is and whether or not you're very conservative or very liberal, sure. when your senator votes that way, it can feel really frustrating and betraying. Of course, but. it's like a total betrayal, but, and here's the thing, we have to look at the totality of the candidates right now in front of us in the short term. You know, the option isn't like, well, I'm not voting or I'm writing someone in. Absolutely not. Let's look at who these people are, especially the PNVs. PNV is, is someone who is willing to say, look, I'm not supporting this. The only way the bill moves on past a filibuster is if they get 33 yes votes. Yep, so yep. a PNV, in my opinion, is someone saying, look, I don't know if I'm against it, but I need more information. I need more time. I see problems. My constituents are mixed on this. I mean, whatever the issue is. And I look at those senators as people who deserve a lot of recognition and praise or at least some slack cut because they're doing their jobs. You know, I would rather have a senator every day of the week tell me, I don't feel ready to take this vote. I can't affirmatively say I want to put an abortion ban in place. And I don't actually even care what the reason is. We might not agree on the reasons. Senator Christ and I, we would end up in the same place a lot. And I would not understand how we got there because we took different paths. And that's what's awesome about the unicameral. And so we all come to these very challenging issues, these big issues 
from a variety of world experiences and our, our own personal lives and how we were raised and our faith and all of those things. So we need to give people, including our senators, some room. No senator is perfect. They're never going to be perfect and assuming they are will only end up in a heartbreak. Um, but to, to stand up and say, I don't actually have the answer, but I know I'm not ready to vote yes. I'm fine with that. And I don't know that those folks should be skewered at this point. And I also think, you know, <clears throat> the courage of someone changing their mind in the final hour is pretty monumentous and courageous. And again, I don't, even if they didn't end up no and they finally just said, there's too many problems and I can't vote yes. I think that's amazing. I'm reminded of uh, when Senator McCain at the 11th hour on the ACA repeal came up and thumbs downed it. Like that's heroic. And um, they're going to like everyone. One of the termed out senators, Senator Kalowski, he's in Omaha, um, big education proponent. Uh, we had a gun bill in 2015 and I, we were a brand new, like Nebraskans Against Gun Violence, where, you know, I work with them and um, we we're a brand new baby organization and we're just trying to figure all this out. And I think we probably didn't, we probably couldn't have held it back more than one round. Um, but he had voted to end the filibuster. And after all the votes were called and he saw the scoreboard, he said, whoa, whoa, speaker, 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 I changed my vote. And the filibuster held, and he was a hero. Um, and it was awesome. And the bill was dead. It was gone. And uh, and we didn't have to deal with it for another year, and we had that much more time to get stronger as an organization. And so that was really important. So, so that's just a really important tool to have. But for sure, uh, Senator Megan Hunt made a great social media post that says, we had 16 people support the filibuster we need one more send me one more and that is really that's up to everyone so meg we yeah. know that the issues around health care abortion access well woman care family care all these things are really really important and we know it, sometimes we see like very publicly candidates will say, I'm endorsed by Planned Parenthood and they'll put out, you know, social media and whatever. And that's really easy for us to figure out. Mm -hmm. But if you, let's say you live in a place where you can't tell and, you know, the candidates, it's maybe in your district, you are certain like both candidates are saying like, we're pro-life. Mm -hmm. How, how do you pick between, cause you have to vote for somebody. And like, what are some ways that you could vet candidates to find which one moves us in the right direction? Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing I would always recommend people look at is the League of Women Voters Voter Guide. Uh, they ask every candidate on the planet, or at least in Nebraska, to answer their voter guide. If someone doesn't respond, that always tells me something. Because the League of Women Voters is a see-through organization. They're not trying to impact the outcome. They just want to give people information. So if you're not willing to give information to an organization trying to inform voters, to me, that's usually a red flag. Um, and a lot of candidates do participate in that. But I mean, honestly, you reach out to the candidate and you ask them your questions, get some answers from them. 
Um, if they're not, no one's really going door to door right now. And if they are, it's usually just lit drops. So get on their website, send them an, send them an email. Or if you're feeling bold, ask the question to in the form of a letter to the editor, to the paper, where are they on this? You can push people to have to either answer it or move uh, based on sort of how the race is being projected. If everyone's moving to be as anti-choice as possible and no one's challenging that, it's going to be really hard to figure out where anyone really is. They are responding to what the mythology in Nebraska says, which is you cannot support Planned Parenthood and abortion rights and win, which is false. The majority of Nebraskans, just like the majority of Americans, support our issue. But that's what I would do. I would reach out. And if they're not going to talk to you now, that also probably tells you they're not going to talk to you once they're a state senator. Um, as you know, someone who ran for office, I tried to respond to every single person that asked me questions as long as they weren't totally trolling me. Because if not when you're running, then they're certainly not going to trust you once they're um, once you're in office. I also think, you know, look at um, if they're an incumbent, there's a lot of votes you can look at. And if you go to the Nebraska legislative website, you know, Google bill, uh, let's say you're interested in the Medicaid expansion bills from a few years ago, Google that, figure out the bill numbers, go look it up and see how they voted on it. If there are issues that you care about, you can, it takes a little work, but not all incumbents are created equal. So let's say your incumbent was a, was a bad vote on this issue. Go see if they're bad on other issues too. I will tell you there's a handful of incumbents who are bad across the board. I mean, we've mentioned Suzanne Geist, we've mentioned Albright, Senator Hilgers, Senator LeGrone. I mean, there's a whole handful of Senator Linehan. There's a handful of senators who are running who are bad on all the intersectional issues um, that at least the Planned Parenthood advocates in Nebraska attracts and, and cares about. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's some voter education you can do. Um, also watch for virtual town halls. So what would be, what would be an intersectional issue? My first thought is maybe if they are for environmental conservation, uh-huh. then that maybe means they're more likely to be pro healthcare and more reasonable to listen to science and data at the policy table. I think that that's fair and true. I also think environmental issues are a reproductive justice issue too. You know, if you don't have safe water, you can't raise your kids in a of safe environment, right? People don't always connect it, but I think, you know, in Nebraska, nitrates are a huge issue. So nitrates could be a reproductive justice issue. Um, I yeah. also think LGBTQ issues, I mean, Planned Parenthood uh, stands with the LGBTQ community through and through and through. So if you weren't someone who supported the anti-discrimination bills Senator Pansy and Brooks brought, um, that is going to tell us how you view our patient base, Planned Parenthood's patient base. Right. Um, voting. Are you someone who is it a senator or a candidate who supports voter ID and the disenfranchisement of voters based on identities they, they potentially hold? We would be against that as well. All right. Meg? Are you reading any great books right now? Not even political, just oh, generally. So what I'm are you doing when you're trying to relax? I'm only reading healthcare related books. I'm about to, um, I'm an adjunct for public health policy at UNO starting in a couple of weeks. And I felt like, oh, I better make sure I know what I'm talking about before I tell it to others. So I'm like just devouring books um, on healthcare, but I have a whole stack of fun books that at some point I look forward to reading. 
I am reading though. It is really, really fascinating and good. Um, American Sickness by Elizabeth Rosenthal, and it's all—it's just all about how. I love that. It's so good. Did you think it was good? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I'm making everyone in my class read it, so I'm glad that was your answer. <laughs> it's very readable. Your 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 students will appreciate that. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a quick a quick and dirty. April, what was your takeaway? really put me on the spot here I was like (laughs) two years ago I read it or something it just really enlightens a lot of the the problems with healthcare today and um how the system really isn't working (laughs) Meg might have more specific examples because she's read it more recently (laughs) Um, you know for me it just I knew some of the big broad strokes like issues, uh, prescription drugs, but I learned so much about how and why that system has been allowed to just so uh, grossly devolve into, you know, $1,500 EpiPen sort of situation and how we need some people in DC in particular to have some backbones and political courage to take on the healthcare industry. And it's hard because there's so much money in the lobby there. And, um, you know, in researching for this class too, I was looking up how LBJ passed um, Medicare and Medicaid and the, the American Medical Association was against it because they just didn't think they were going to get paid enough. And it's, it's um, healthcare in our country has just been broken for a long time and really challenging for a long time. Pretty great. I remember something else. There were pages in the book on like how to help you make better decisions Mm-hmm. Um, that I remember like taking pictures of to see, like, <laughs> I mean, cause it's ridiculous. Like the questions you should ask before any surgery to make sure that not, of course your doctor's in network, but what about the anesthesiologist and what about the x-ray tech? And you know what I mean? All of that's crazy stuff that we shouldn't have to worry about. Um, for, I, for one was interested in it because when I had a baby and then you get all those bills and I was like, you charged me how much for one prenatal vitamin? Uh-huh. Are you kidding me? And uh-huh. so like when I had my second baby, I was like, um, I'll take my own prenatal vitamin. <laughs> and they were like, they, they hated that. They were like, well, we don't like that because then we don't know what's in your system should something happen to you. And I'm like, it's a prenatal vitamin. That's what's in my system. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's just crazy. And um, here, and another thing, um, they had to get me some pumping parts um, because I had to use a hospital grade one for a very short time. And the markup was like twice what I could have got it on Amazon. How in the world does a hospital not get a better price on something than Amazon (laughs) when you're having babies there all day, every day? I think that's the other thing that was so shocking to me. And I, again, I feel so naive saying like, I'm always so shocked. Um, but I am, they were talking about how even in the same city, a procedure could vary like $20,000 depending on where you are. And they were also, there's this whole like chapter of storyteller after storyteller sharing how, like how hard it was to get an itemized bill and that half the itemizations were wrong. You know, and it's just like, you think about too, <sighs> wealth disparities in this country and like who would know and have the time 
to go fight a hospital on all of that, get the information, fight them again. And it's always like the people who are successful were always like, well, this person's a lawyer and, or this person's also a physician and new to do. It's like, it's just no wonder so many, you know, people go bankrupt from medical bills. It's ill. Scary. I had my gallbladder out and eight months later, Bryan hospital here in Lincoln sent me a bill for $2,000 eight months later. And it coincided with when I left my corporate job and my health insurance changed. Mm. And allegedly they'd been negotiating for eight whole months. Uh, Nobody told me that. And I probably would have uh, had it all sorted out before I, and they said, well, you can call your health insurance company, but I didn't have that health insurance company anymore. And uh, it was a nightmare. It was a total nightmare. And that's just, and they can't, they can do anything they want because ultimately they can just send you to collections and you're going to pay it one way or the other. And the only way out of it was to do a financial aid form where you give them all of your financial records, which you shouldn't have to do. Uh, So anyway, that is, you know, the healthcare is a mess. Profiting off the sick and the dying is sick. (laughs) It just is sick. Uh, well, so. this has been a really great discussion, Meg. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I got a little um, long-winded and, and warm in the face, but I, it's we're not very far away from the vote, and I'm still feeling a, uh, I'm feeling feelings. We're, yeah. We appreciate your passion. <laughs> Thank and, you. Who? Okay. Well, I am probably supposed to be putting Queen Beatrix to uh, bed and she keeps me on a schedule. So um, unless there's other, I wish I had something fun to tell you I was reading, but I don't. So um, you're fine. Well, this has been wonderful, Meg. We are so grateful that you spent some time with us. Uh, We will definitely be having you back to come talk about other things Um, and, you know, have a wonderful night. Yeah, thank you all so much. You're the best. I appreciate it. Talk to y'all later. Bye, bye, bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a five, ten, or twenty dollar a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.